Good morning, everyone. Welcome. We're so grateful you're here. Those of you joining us right here in the sanctuary and those of you joining us online, uh, I do want to encourage you a little bit ahead of time that next Sunday is Easter Sunday. If you didn't know that already, it's Resurrection Sunday. We'd encourage you to come on out, bring some friends. We're going to have a special service that's been put together just surrounding the message of Easter and all that it means for us. How many of you know what today is, though, on the church's calendar? Palm Sunday, the first day of the Passion Week. Uh, It's a day in which, like no other day, Jesus was lauded and heralded as the Messiah as praise was offered, palm branches and clothing was laid on the ground so that He could have the most regal of entries into His city, Jerusalem, the place of His presence It's also the day which sealed the death judgment that the religious leaders would place upon his life. We're going to be reading in Matthew 21, if you want to turn there. Uh, We're not going to actually have anything on the screens for right now. Matthew 21 and verse 8. Matthew 21, 8. By the way, a little trick I learned when I was in uh, college is that if you're the type of person who takes notes and you're like me, as you listen to the next thing the person says, you forget what they'd already said and you can't remember what the text was. One of the first things I learned in Bible school was to write the text down first. Then I turn because that way if I've turned first and I can't quite find it and I look up, oh wait, I don't know where it is. Write the text down first. It helps you. Matthew 21 verse 8. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when He had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Perhaps uh, like no other time, I've been struck this year with the reality of the composition of the people who were gathered on this great day. Luke tells us that there were Pharisees in the crowd because if we had continued to read, we would have found that there was a point in time in which the Pharisees said to Jesus, rebuke this crowd for being quite so loud and obnoxiously enthusiastic. And, you know, I've even had people say that about our church services. Like, you guys are just a little bit too far out there. You guys are too enthusiastic. Well, like Jesus said, He said, if these people don't do it, then God will cause the very rocks to cry out. So, there were Pharisees in the crowd. There were also some Romans, because again, this was happening in Roman-occupied territory. So whenever there was a crowd, you can guarantee there were Roman soldiers that are making sure everything was done decently in order. And you can pretty much guarantee anytime there was a parade, there would be families present. There would be grandmas and grandpas. Uh, We love a parade, being able to watch our grandkids and Get them to collect candy. In fact, I have noticed as I've gone to the Warsaw Parade that oftentimes the parents and the grandparents are quicker to collect the candy than the kids are. 
Uh, I don't know what that says about us, whether we're just greedy or we just know the system better. But there's grandmas and grandpas, there's moms and dads, there's kids and grandkids. I mean, there's a whole group of them there. And as the parade went by, everybody having fun, you can pretty much guarantee that there were those who just jumped in because who doesn't like a good parade? There were young and there were old. There were men and there were women. There were children and there were grandparents. There were the religious and probably the not-so-religious who also joined in. And one of the things that struck me this year, depending upon what version you read in, is that some of the versions, like the version I just read to you, talks about multitudes. But other versions use the term crowd. And I began to think about what does it mean to be in a crowd? Who's in a crowd? What does it mean to be in a crowd versus anything? You know, there are different stages of life, and depending upon what stage you're in, you're in a different crowd. But this day, on Palm Sunday, everybody was on the Jesus bandwagon. Uh, whatever happened to the crowd, though? I mean, that day, I mean, remember the text. That day, the crowd was saying, Hosanna, which means save now. Hosanna to God in the highest. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. But that same crowd, just days later, were able to say with the same fervor, the same enthusiasm, crucify Him. Crucify this man. What struck me this year and what I want to look at briefly this morning is it's possible to be a part of the crowd but never really a part of the community. There were people there that day that were a part of the crowd that lauded Jesus but they were never really part of the community of Jesus. So what does it mean to be a part of the crowd versus a part of the community? Uh, there's all kinds of crowds. If you think about it, there's uh, work crowds. People you hang out with at work. Uh, there are school crowds, whether it be you on the staff and faculty side of things, or whether it be the student side of things. There's a crowd at school. There's your children's activity crowd. Uh, I can remember uh, as our kids were growing up, they played sports, uh, whether it be soccer or baseball or basketball. I mean, they played sports. And when you would gather to watch your kids, you got to know the parents of the other kids who were playing. That was part of the kids' activity. And it could have been instead arts and dance and drama. could have been all of that. But the funny thing is now, as these same people who I haven't probably seen very frequently over years come in the door, it's like there's a still a sense of connection because we were a part of our kids' activity crowd. Uh, there's the political crowd. Uh, this past year, 2020, I think I've heard more about politics than almost any time in my life. It was like front stage, and that's the political crowd. And then there's the church crowd people who gather on Sundays and are just a part of the crowd. And it's easy to confuse association with a crowd as also meaning you're a part of the community. And that's not necessarily true. Because once the reason for your gathering is done, your kids grow too old for t-ball. Or your kids are out of dance class now. Then you're no longer a part of that crowd. Crowds are like pseudo-communities where relationships are experienced at a superficial level. Crowds are gathered primarily around the idea of ideology or activity rather than true commitment, true connection, 
true care. Crowds are defined by activities, uh, even like the crowds that gathered um, this past January on the Capitol Mall. Gathered together on the basis of ideas and activities. And if the crowd doesn't meet your personal agenda, then you just go find another crowd that actually does it for you at that moment in time. Crowds rarely get beyond superficial levels at heart because all they really care about in that time is what the crowd can do for them. So in a crowd, like a church crowd, somebody comes in the door and we say, hey, how you doing today? What's the response? Fine, good, okay. Even though you might not be doing good at all. You might not be feeling fine. You might be grieving. You might have anguish inside. But we've learned that in a crowd, superficial is the word for the day. No one really knows what's going on inside of your heart, in your mind, or your life. And before long, we end up with a whole culture of superficiality just as part of a passing crowd in the parade that's called life. This lack of connection is sadly just as real in church as it is out in the world. People come to church Sunday after Sunday and people don't really know them. Either they don't let themselves be known or people don't take the time to find out who they really are. No real commitment, no care, no connection. When was the last time and I want you to think about it. When was the last time when someone asked you how you were that you really told them? When was the last time you sat down and talked to people about the things that are on your heart? And maybe they're heavy things. Maybe they're things that are deep and painful for you. Things that you've gone through or memories that have come back even recently. One of the things I like about uh, Facebook is that when you open it, in the morning, it sometimes gives you memories from the previous years, which can be a good thing. But sometimes it gives you memories that are painful. When's the last time you sat down and shared some of the difficult challenges that you're facing? Or when's the last time you sat down and shared your dreams, your hopes, your vision, the things that God has actually done in you and spoken to you? Rather than try to dig deeper, we often embrace the crowd's mentality of superficial. Uh, we either do that or we look for another crowd because this crowd just isn't doing it for me anymore. Uh, rather than pressing and continuing to press to get past the superficiality, we just go look for another crowd that makes us feel good in that moment of time. I want to suggest to you that the answer isn't to isolate yourself the answer isn't to quit. The answer isn't even to criticize or to accuse the others. It's your fault. I can't be real because you won't let me be. Rather than do all of that, maybe the answer is that we actually take some time and press in like we never have before because the truth is we're all getting too old to waste time on superficiality. We need connection. We need care. We need heart connection more than just mind connection. Uh, the answer is to stop blaming others and to quit isolating. The answer is to press in like never before. It's to create community right where you are. Even if you're in the church crowd, 
maybe there's the possibility that within this crowd of people, you could actually create community. Deep within all of us, we know that we are made for relationship. Yes, with God, but we're also made for relationship with one another. Even the night Jesus was betrayed, as he came into the Garden of Gethsemane, he there sought the camaraderie, the closeness, the connection of a few close friends. He said, would you come with me and pray with me? That's Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, needing connection. The same kind of connection that we all need. The experience of authentic community is one of the things that God intended from the beginning. His word tells us in Hebrews that we're not to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us rather encourage one another. There the writer of Hebrews is telling us some people have just quit. They said, yeah, I tried that whole group thing. It didn't work for me. I got burned. I quit. I'm done. And the writer of Hebrews tells us don't give up gathering together. Don't give up trying. We don't exist for our own self-actualization or self-gratification. We exist to live in community. Years ago, uh, I was privileged to um, join a program called POE, Pastors of Excellence. And part of what happened, the very first day, we were stuck together in groups. I was put in a group with a few other guys, like four other guys. Uh, One of them was a Baptist One was a United Methodist, one was a Grace Brethren, and one was an Evangelical Lutheran. And i got to tell you, we were about as different as night and day. We had almost nothing in common. In fact, honestly, and you'll forgive me for saying this, but this was true. I wasn't even sure that some of those people could be Christians. But we were put in a group together. It was an artificially constructed group, which, like the video you just saw, it's like it felt awkward knocking on the door to go into this group. I can remember the very first time we gathered, and they're saying to you, what we want you to do first is tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us how you're feeling about the group. I'm not going to tell these guys how I really feel. I feel like I don't want to be here. I have nothing in common with you guys. They've made me sit in this group. But i got to tell you, that group has become probably one of the most important things that have ever happened in my life. It was in that group that I was able to be honest in ways that I don't think I've ever been honest with anybody other than my spouse. I was able to tell them things and express my fears, my lack, uh, hidden things in my own life that I've never talked to anybody about. I was able to be real among this group, and I'm so grateful to God for it. The truth is, this group, for me, proved that I needed community. I needed more than uh, a superficial gathering. That artificial community became real and intimate for me. In Mark chapter 2, four friends brought their handicapped friend to Jesus. And that's part of what community is about. Community is intended to bring us to Jesus, to help us walk in a closer way with Him and with them. Larry Crabb, who is a Christian psychologist who passed away recently, said this, A central task of community is to create a place that is safe enough for the walls to be torn down, 
safe in us, safe enough for each of us to reveal our own brokenness. Only authentic community will allow spiritual growth and true transformation. One of the things Larry Crabb did, I mean, he, he functioned for years as a psychologist with his own practice, but there came a point where he just quit it all because he said, everything that I am doing with my clients was intended by God to be met in the community of the redeemed, in the church. A place not just a crowd of people, but a place where there's true community. In Matthew 18, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. And I've heard people, I've heard pastors say this often in order to almost excuse, well, there's just a small number of us, but Jesus said wherever two or three are gathered, there we are. I think that's not what He meant at all. I think Jesus meant don't get more than two or three because with just two or three, you can actually be real. And when you are real, you take off your masks, there Jesus will meet with you with His grace. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been meditating on the fact that it's not only possible, it's easy to be a part of the crowd here at Family Life Church, but not really be a part of community. I think the corporate church, this gathering, is intended that out of it should come community. Small groups who gather together, who share life together, who share struggles, challenges, even sins, but also share victories and encouragements of one another. What's going on in our lives beneath the surface? We all face inevitable trials, struggles. We all face uh, tragedies in life. And every one of us needs support. We need to be strengthened. We need to be encouraged. We need to be empowered. And I believe that happens as we actually enter into community together. So I want to give you just a couple of suggestions as I'm getting ready to finish as short as I think I've ever spoken. No, that's not true. I spoke shorter down at the uh, United Church. They told me if you speak over seven minutes, people will walk out. Um, I want to give you a couple of suggestions about how to practice real community. First, ask God to help you to wrestle with, are you able to be real? Are you able to be honest about what's going on inside of you? Even in your marriage, you don't always tell the truth because you're afraid of the consequences. You're afraid of the fallout. You're afraid to be real. Are you just a part of the crowd or are you a part of a community of brothers and sisters in Christ where you can share real life? Have you been hiding out in the crowd? And maybe it's time that you quit hiding. Number two, don't fall into the trap of the enemy which takes your past experiences and uses it to accuse or to attack past groups. Maybe like me, and I'm just being honest, I haven't always found small groups easy. They're, they're awkward because in the small group, everybody kind of just stares at one another and who's going to do what? Whereas in a large group, you can kind of hide out. But I want to encourage you, don't use your past experiences as a reason to either quit, to isolate, or to blame. Instead, say, God, I need community, so I'm asking you to open the door afresh in my heart for fresh connection. Don't say, I did the whole community thing before and it didn't work for me. The truth is, you need community. Every single one of you sitting here today need a community connection. You do. You need people 
who can speak into your lives because they've connected with you enough to know who you really are. Third, I want to encourage you, even as you saw the video, get involved in a life group. Find a life group that will fit you, and you're going to hear more about it in just a moment. Find a life group that actually will be something that you can connect with. Like I've, I, because of uh, just being here, I actually know what the life groups are. And I've already decided what life group I'm going to connect with. And I've decided that that life group needs to become life for me and for the whole group. We need to have that kind of connection in our heart and life. And you say, well, I've tried it before. Well, then let's try it again. Let's try it. Let's, let's believe that this time God will actually do something in me. I can guarantee you that when I met with that POE group, that at first it was awkward, it was difficult, uh, you didn't know what to say or who to talk to, but over time those guys all became close friends that we still connect with, even though they are around the world. One's out in Arizona, one's in Pennsylvania, one is in Japan. Although they're around the world, we still connect, sometimes by Zoom, sometimes by phone, but we still connect. And we try, we try hard to get together at least once a year in person. Usually playing golf, but we try to get together. Uh, if you find that a particular group that you join doesn't work, instead of becoming discouraged and say, it just doesn't work for me, just say, okay, this time it wasn't the right fit. That's okay. That's all right for things not to be a right fit. But here's my point. Instead of just quitting quickly and say, it doesn't fit, how about we try to actually press through some of the awkwardness of just starting off? Because sometimes what you're experiencing is the same awkwardness I felt with POE. And you have to work through it in order to get to the good stuff in life. And finally, it's possible that what we're offering as life groups just doesn't somehow ring your bell. Well, I would suggest to you that you talk to me or you talk to Pastor John, and maybe in our next grouping, we can put together a group that will actually be something that will help to meet a need of your own soul. But in the meantime, still connect with groups as they're going on. In this church, as is true of any church, you can't get to know everyone equally. You just can't. There's just too many people. But you can get to know a few intimately, closely, so that you can be honest about all that's going on in your life. You can connect with a few people and make it your goal to build them up, to strengthen them, to encourage them, to serve them, and to help them. God wants us to leave our individualized, isolated lives and begin to press in. So this morning, really what this is about, as we're looking at Palm Sunday and the crowds that gathered with all kinds of different people who within a few short time all disbanded and went into another crowd, we're looking at, instead of just being part of the crowd, we actually become part of the community. I encourage you to pay the price for being a true follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, I played, uh, I started with Little League. Uh, how many of you guys ever played Little League? Some of you played Little League, then went from there into, we called it Babe Ruth League. I don't know what it is officially. Then we started playing JV, then varsity kind of stuff. But I can remember when we got on a team, you had practices. You had a lot of practices before you could ever play a game. And then if you had bad attitudes or you said bad words, you not only had to run laps, it was very possible. You wouldn't only not be starting the next game, 
you wouldn't be playing in the next game. And you learned what it meant to be a part of that community. There was a price to pay for it. Well, I want to suggest to you that if you're going to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, there's a price to pay. And part of the way you pay that price is by connecting with people where you can grow and be honest. Sunday after Sunday, you can come in here and just be a part of the crowd. Or you can become a part of the community that is God's intent. We're going to watch a video that's on right now for you guys. So if you guys would pay attention, they're going to be talking about life groups for you, okay?